precious word, what wisdom do your precepts unfold, giving light to my path, yielding mercies untold, giving sight to the blind, so the blinded can see, giving life to the dead, as the Well, praise the Lord. That's good. Hide thy word within my heart. That's good. Amen. Well, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. And then we'll um, kind of move along here. We're dealing with back to separation again, and we're going to kind of conclude the part one of that particular um, portion of the uh, series, back to God series, that is. Next uh, Sunday morning, we'll pick up with the secret of killing giants, because I never did get to the secret, so we definitely got to finish out the secret, and, and by then, maybe somebody will figure it out, but we'll see. But uh, we'll pick back up where we left off on Sunday morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 through 21, we read, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His... And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, 
and prepared unto every good work. Now last week, a couple of weeks ago actually, two Sunday nights ago, we began this particular portion of our Back to God series, Back to Separation. And we, we said there that night, we said separation identifies us with God as God's people. Um, it separates us, excuse me, uh, it identifies us with God and as God's people, I should say. Then we said separation insulates us from the world. And finally, we said separation ensures distinction. And we started looking through the Word of God about uh, this aspect of separation, and we noted that in creation, it all began, that God in His, His, His wisdom began to bring separation about right from the very beginning. We see it when He created, obviously, light and darkness and made that distinction. Um, we, we saw that... Um, the Lord also continued with that. I mean, just the fact that he placed a tree in the midst of the garden and he made it distinct and he made it unique and he made it separate. And they were permitted to eat of every tree that was in the midst of the garden except that one in the, the midst. We saw that he also continued with man and woman, making a distinction, a difference there between the two. We saw that also there was separation in the mark of Cain as a result of his sin in killing his own brother. We see that there was separation in, in uh, you know, um, I guess um, clearly distinguished when it comes to the ark and the animals that were on the ark. There were two to be placed there that were unclean, but the clean ones were seven in number. Why? Because they would be offered as sacrifices along the way. So he made a distinction between the animals even that went on to the ark. We saw that even after the ark, separation was continuing on and God continued to, 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 to separate peoples. For instance, in this case, they started building a tower. We know it as the Tower of Babel. But he confounded the language and brought separation ultimately among the peoples and would ultimately be among the nations. And then we see that God called out a people from among the other nations. And we note that nation to be Israel ultimately. And he required a lamb. A lamb without blemish, without spot, distinct as a result of sacrifice. Again, separation. We noted throughout that God is always in the business of separating. And that's what we see. And so I want to talk about the principle tonight. I want to actually get to the, that was all introductory the last week we met. But I want to get talking about a couple of things. First of all, we're going to note here this week and then uh, uh, this issue of the principle of separation. And um, we're going to look at a couple of other things along the way as well, but let's begin right there and then we'll continue on. But we're going to find that all born-again believers are sanctified. They're already sanctified. What that means is to be separated unto God. Because of our faith in Christ, our belief in the Lord Jesus, and the, the supernatural work that God does in our life, we're separated unto God. We are sanctified. Take your Bible, look over at the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. When you get there, we'll go ahead and have a quick word of prayer and then we'll continue. We're going to look at some scripture tonight and we're going to just consider this principle of separation and, and how it affects you and I as believers. Um, we'll look at some of the particulars starting next week, but today we want to look at the principle of Primarily, So let's go ahead and uh, have that word of prayer. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you're not there, verses 1 through 2. 
And as soon as you catch up to the rest of us, you go ahead and bow your head and pray with us, all right? Father, we do appreciate this time that we have together. Now, Lord, may you bless your word. And again, how important is the word of God in our lives, Lord? We can't thank you enough for giving us this guideline, this blueprint. Now, now, Father, we ask that you would just speak to our hearts through your word and may your spirit drive home truths and may we leave here, Father, equipped and, Father, just edified and, Lord, just prepared and ready to do the work that you'd have us to do. Bless us. We thank you for this opportunity to gather now tonight. We'll give you the glory for it in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, the Bible says Paul, that Paul had called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sothenes, our brother, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. I think it's interesting when you consider the opening of this book, 1 Corinthians, when you consider that Corinth was considered one of the most wicked and defiled churches of all time. And yet here in this particular passage, he makes it extremely clear. He says, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. If you are separated unto God, it's because you're sanctified in Christ Jesus. You know, if we're trying to be separated, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) we're trying to be separated from sin in our own ability, in our own strength. My, My friend, that's not being sanctified unto God. This is something that Christ does in our life. This is something that the Lord supernaturally does in our life. Now, I get it. We're to be continually being separated unto the Lord, and we'll talk more about that in some particulars. But in principle, you need to understand, and so do I, that salvation itself separates us unto God and from the world. And so we read here of that truth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, turn there if you would please, verse 9 through 11. A very powerful passage. Again, we're dealing with a church that was rooted and grounded in, in, in the truth, yes, but they also had so much sin and there was so much baggage they were carrying into the relationship with Christ and into the church. It was an amazing place. I, I mean, Paul had to address it and deal with it. You don't get doctrine out of 1 Corinthians. You don't build doctrine out of it. Why? Because it's a church that was faulty. Now, you can learn principles from it, yes, but you do not learn how to do the ministry there. I mean, they had all the gifts, but they were corrupted. There's so many things going on. And yet in this passage, we're learning something about believers today. You may not be the perfect believer, but you are still sanctified unto the Lord and set apart unto Jesus Christ. Now listen, that ought to do something to you. That shouldn't make you say, well, man, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, the the answer to that question would be, you know, no way. Don't do that. I mean, you are a child of God now. And whether you see yourself as being special or not, you are extremely special tonight because the Lord Jesus Christ not only came to earth and took your place on Calvary, but he also died and he rose again and saved you and said, you are special to me. And now you're sanctified unto me. Look at this. This is unbelievable. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Know ye not that the unrighteous, unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Watch this now. We're in a church now that is, is really, there's a lot of sin going on. There's problems in the church house. 
And yet he goes on and says to them, and such were some of you. He says it was past tense. There was a time in the past you were all those things. But that's not who you are now. But may I say, were some of them doing some of those things? Sadly enough, they were. But the Bible says that God sees them differently now because of their relationship with him. Because of the work that he did in their life. Because of the change that he brought in their soul and their spirit. He says, such were some of you. That's not who you are. So stop acting that way and stop living like that. Because that's not who you are now. See, nobody's upset when a pig jumps in the mud. But let a little boy or a little girl whose, whose mama has taken time to clean them all up and put beautiful church clothes on them, run out into the closest mud pile and jump on in face first, mom and daddy's going to be upset. Because, see, little children aren't supposed to get muddy with church clothes on. But pigs are. So when a child of God ends up in the pigsty, we all should be going, what's going on? That's not natural. That's not normal. But you know what's the, the sad part is today in the church? We all too often are like, well, it's just normal for these teenagers and these adults alike to run off into sin. That's normal. Uh, who, who, you know, people get saved, don't come to church. That's normal. That's not normal. That's not normal according to the word of God because the Bible says you're not who you used to be. It shouldn't be normal. The expectation is that our actions and our attitudes will change. But not only that, our address will change as well. So yes, our, our attitude and our actions must change because of our newfound faith in Christ. These were new creatures in the Lord. However, our address changes. And he makes that perfectly clear. Watch what it says in Philippians. Turn there, would you please? Look what it says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 through 21. Again, a very powerful passage because we're talking about this distinction, the separation that comes at salvation. We're, we're separated unto the Lord. We're sanctified as a result of our, our newfound faith in Christ Jesus. Notice what he says, though. It doesn't just affect, it shouldn't just affect, I should say, your actions and your attitude, but it does also affect your address. Look at this. Someone says, I know, I'm going to heaven. No, you don't, no, no you haven't gotten it yet. Look what he says here, because this is so important to understand. For our conversation, verse 20, chapter 3 of Philippians, our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. Now, thank God for that new body we're going to have. But hold on, I find this phrase extremely Important for our conversation is in heaven. That word conversation has to do with our actions as citizens of heaven. It's it's the word conversation in the Bible isn't just our speech, it's our actions. And when in the context in which it's being used and the way it's being used, it's saying basically this. It's going on to say that we are citizens of heaven, that our citizenship is in heaven. The very moment that you trusted Christ, your citizenship changed from this earth to heaven. You're no longer a citizen of this earth. You are a citizen of heaven now. I mean, God made a distinction and there's a separation now. You're not who you used to be. You're now a citizen of heaven. And we 
being the citizens of that new country. And our lives, our lives ought to bear that out then. The way we speak and the way we act, it ought to reflect positively on the, the, the country we now belong to. We know that we're told that we're ambassadors of Christ. Well, what city and, or should I say, what, what world or nation do we represent? We represent heaven. So we have to acknowledge that truth. Do you know Christ is your Savior tonight? You say, yes, I do. Do you know what that makes you? A citizen of heaven. And you have to remember that when you go to work tomorrow morning. you got to remember that when you go to school. You need to remember that, and I need to remember that when we're out at the store or over at the restaurant. It doesn't matter where we're at. We need to remember always that we are citizens of heaven today. We are to represent our kingdom well and reflect the love, the mercy, and the grace that abounds in that place. The world should be able to look at our lives and get a glimpse of how heaven will be. They ought to be able to look at our marriages and say, now that's what a relationship ought to be. They ought to be able to look at our our, our families and say, now that's what a family ought to be. They ought to be able to look at our Christianity and say, now that is different than what I'm used to seeing. That's a Christian. And all these others that name the name of Christ that don't live it out. Well, I don't know about that, but what I do know is brother so-and-so or that sister so-and-so right here that works beside me. Now that's a Christian. Because you're a citizen of heaven, you ought to be reflecting that citizenship. And so must I. That truth is further reinforced by other passages that are found in the book of Ephesians as well. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at a couple of other passages here in Ephesians. Again, separation is not a bad word. It is a good thing. Because if it did not exist, you would not be separated unto Christ. You are distinctly His, and so am I. You are sanctified unto the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful separation. I don't know about you, but growing up, I... I grew up in a home where it was the O'Donnell home. I had all kinds of friends, and they had moms, or they had moms and dads, or they had people that were watching them as well. But I had, I was part of the O'Donnell family. And my mom and dad uh, were there, and they took care of me, and they provided for me. And when it was all said and done, I was theirs, and they were mine. I didn't belong to the neighbor, and I didn't belong to my friend's mom and dad. I belonged to my mom and dad. I was separated unto them. They say, who are your children? Well, let me see. I'll just pick a few. No, these four are my kids. These four are mine, and and we'd look and say, no, they're mine, my parents. And the Bible says that he knows his own, and we know his voice. We are separated unto God. We're part of his family now. We were part of the, this, this world, and we were part of the family of Satan, but we have been, we've been sanctified, set apart from that world, and placed in his body and in his family. Notice what he says in Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Where? In heavenly places in Christ. In Ephesians 2.6, he goes on to say, 
and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We need to reckon that to be so. We need to come to the conclusion and the understanding that in God's eyes we're already seated next to him in heavenly places. That it's just a mere matter of smoke and mirrors down here. When it's all said and done, the reality is not what we live and where we are today. The reality is about tomorrow and eternity. Because we're already seated. Someone says, this thing called death, scary. And the truth is for the believer, and I'm not going to say it's not in one respect because we don't know anything but this life. But let me tell you something. We should be so close to God that we say, listen, I'm already seated next to him. I'm not really going to leave this earth because I'm already gone. I'm a citizen of heaven. And I'm just going to graduate into his presence completely and totally because I'm already seated there. Death should not be that big a deal to the believer. And yet it is a big deal to us because so many times I really believe that our relationship with the Lord is not what it ought to be. And the reality of these truths in the word of God are not truly purchased and not bought and not received and not embraced by us as it ought to be. He goes on to say that we're now citizens of heaven and part of that heavenly household of faith in Ephesians 2.19. Now therefore, you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. That's a wonderful thing. Now again, we're strangers all right from something. It's this world. We're no longer strangers to him. No longer strangers to his household. Remember I said I have three brothers, so I was one of four children. And listen, I'm going to tell you, I was no stranger in that house. My mama knew where she'd find me at night and what bed she'd find me in. She knew that when it came time to eat dinner, you know where I'd be seated. I wasn't a stranger there. I was of the household of O'Donnell. And may I say today that you are of the household of the Lord Jesus Christ. The household of God and the saints. You're no longer a stranger because of the new birth. You've been sanctified, separated unto God. Jesus in his prayer in John chapter 17, they call it his priestly prayer many times. He makes an incredible statement that reflects the dramatic shift that's taken place in our lives from being citizens of this world, from citizens to heaven, to citizens of heaven. Here's what he says in John 17, 16. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Did you get that? They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Earlier, Earlier in the book of John, chapter 15, turn if you would please to chapter 15, verse 16, John. He makes this statement. He made it even before he made the last one. But notice what he says here. He sets it all up. But that, that little statement we just read is so powerful that I thought I would present it first. But notice how he sets it up in John 15, verse 16. He says, Ye have not chosen me, John 15, 16, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Watch this now. 
These things I command you that ye love one another. Wow, is that big. Moving on. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. You know who's talking here, right? Jesus is. Can, can I tell you before we end this particular reading that the reason why God wants you and the reason why God wants me to love you and you to love me and to us to love one another is because the world is going to hate us. And you're going to have nobody if you're living a godly life that's going to love you like your church family loves you. Because the world will not love you if you take a stand for Christ according to the word of God. You start, as we used to say, well, I'm not going to say it, because some of you are so politically sensitive, you'd probably run out of here and call the Beacon Journal. <laughs> Throw me under the bus. No, you wouldn't. But anyway, the fact is, is that we used to know what was right and wrong. Now, even the church house doesn't want to take a stand on right and wrong. The people of God will embrace sin. Because we don't want to offend anybody today. But if you will take a stand, not an offensive stand for the purpose of offending, but a stand for God for the purpose of right, he says to us here, long before this day with which we live, and maybe, may, may I say, if you look at the men that he was speaking to when he said those words, if you look at the women he was speaking to when he said those words, they suffered for their faith. They had, they had pagan Rome tracking them down and murdering them. And they had the Jewish faith going after them rapidly, trying to do away with them because they preached the resurrection of Jesus. He said to them, these things I've commanded you that ye love one another. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, if ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world. Can anybody fill in the blank? But I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. How is it that we can be so comfortable with the world? How is it I'm so comfortable with the world at times? Could it just be that maybe we're not really as separated as he intended us to be? in our doctrine, in our actions, in our attitudes, in our biblical perspectives. Maybe we're embracing the world's doctrine more than we are God's doctrine. Maybe we're embracing his ideology, the world's ideology, more than God's ideology. Maybe we believe in a God that's painted and pictured and, 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 and has, has been defined by the world more than we believe in the Bible's definition of who God really is. And so much so that we fit right in with the world. It scares me when believers have more lost friends than Christian friends. It scares me when they can say, well, I don't really need church because I've got plenty of friends in the world. Well, that bothers me a little bit. Because you don't have those kind of friends if you're really living a separated life under the Lord. Now, you may have acquaintances. You may have people that you can hang out with from time to time, but you can't truly allow someone in the world to have influence in your life. And that's what a friend is. Someone that can influence you. Why would you want influence by somebody that the Bible says is a fool? 
He said, I, they don't even, listen, have you read the statistics lately? They don't even believe in a God. And the Bible says, you don't believe in God, you're a fool. So, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. See, to fully appreciate this fact, you've got to be conscious again of an important biblical truth that takes place. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's so important that we understand these things because they set the stage for our, our futures, our lives as believers. This idea of being sanctified and set apart is so important. And it's not something that you do, it's something God already did. And then as a result of what God did, then changes take place in your own life. But it begins with the change that he made. That new creature, that regenerated person, that dead soul to a living soul. Notice what he says here in 2 Corinthians. Again, we've got to understand this truth. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now I want to back up a second because I felt a little kink when I said you can't be friends with the world. Now you listen to me and and you try to understand what I'm really saying. This idea, I'm not talking about you go to work and people at work, you get along with people at work. That's not what I'm talking about. If you are so, so abrasive that you can't walk into your workplace and be recognized as the best employee employee in the joint because you can't shut your mouth when it's work time and all you want to do is witness to people even when you're supposed to be on the clock working then I've got a that's a problem see that's a problem that's not how it ought to be but you ought to be that witness you ought to be. You ought to be able to talk about the Lord when you're on your time off. And when you're in the break room, you got your Bible maybe and all those things. I get that. I'm not talking about being abrasive. I'm not talking about your, your family can't stand being around you because you never give them a break. You're always ripping on them. You're always judging them. You're always telling them how wicked they are. And you're always better than them. That's not what we're talking about. But I'm going to tell you something. I might be able to be kind and pleasant to this young man and say, man, bro, it's good to see you again at work. Man, it's always good, man. You're a good worker, man. We get along so good. We're on the same line together. Let's bust it out today, man. Let's do something. And we're getting along. And maybe, and I say, hey, dude, listen, why don't we go out maybe for lunch next uh, next week? You and me, we'll go out to lunch. And while I'm at lunch, guess what I'm thinking? I'm looking for an inroad. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to the party with him. I'm not, I'm not hanging out with him over here. Let's, what do you want to do? Come over to my house. Let's hang out. Let's do this. Let's do that. I got a movie I want you to watch with me. I'm, well, brother, you know what? I'll stop by your house maybe and see what's going on. But I'm going to tell you, if I get to his house and find out he wants me to watch something that ain't right, I'm saying, yeah. you listen, I'm a Christian. I don't watch those things. Yeah, I thought I made that clear. I'm a Christian. Let me tell you what a Christian is. Let me show you. Yeah, you know what he probably won't be doing after a while? Inviting me over to his house. That's right. That's because it. he's not going to want me to come over and watch, you know, Mary Poppins. I mean, there's a good chance he's not going to continue to ask me to go. He's not going to keep asking me to go to, to Buffalo Wild Wing and sit and watch sports on television and drink beer and eat chicken wings. And someone says, oh, wait a second now. You're, getting, you're meddling now. Yeah, I know. I'm just, I'm just saying, I can't hang out. I'm not going to have close friendships, relationships where people can influence me in that regard. Now, hold on. I can be a friend to others. But I don't have to let them be a friend to me. 
I want to influence everybody I can for Christ. And I know I've got to get close. And this is the big difference. And, and the new evangelical movement, they say that we're so, we're so unwilling to develop relationships with people. May I say, they are correct to some degree. We have dropped the ball in that area. You've got to take time to develop relationships. If there's an area in our church that we are sickly weak at, it's relationships with one another. We are as friendly as they get, but there are no relationships in this church as a whole. You may have one set of friends that you hang out with, but people walk through that door and you'll never have them over to dinner. You'll never ask them out after church because that just doesn't, you know, I feel a little uncomfortable with that. You better develop relationships with the lost. I'm not talking about let them influence your life. I'm not talking about hang out with them and go to the ball game on Sunday night over at Cleveland to watch the football game when you ought to be in God's house. That's not what I'm talking about. You don't let them influence you like that. Well, I'm doing it in order to make an inroad, and I'm going to try to lead them to Christ while between touchdowns. Okay. Now, I'm really, I'm getting off track a little bit. But here's the problem. Notice what he says here in the passage. In whom the God of this world, if they're lost, it's because they're hid. He says, it's hidden, uh, excuse me, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them, which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So here's the thing. It is very, very clear from this particular passage that there is some supernatural being who is at the head of the world system. There's somebody that's heading up the world system then. And that head is Satan. Somebody's in charge of the world system. And he's a little G God. He's the head of the political system, the economic system, the social system, the religious system of our world. He's in control and he's in charge. And that world system provides a course in which its participants travel. And we've noted it over and over again, but look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. This is why it's important. You talk about Christ. He separates us unto him through the new birth. He sanctifies. And that word means to separate unto God. He sanctifies or separates us unto himself at the new birth. What he's really doing as well is he's separating us from the present world in which we live. A world that was ruled by little G God. And he says, now I want you to be ruled by big G God. I don't want you to be continually influenced by the world in which you came out of. Matter of fact, I want you to change everything about your life in that sense because I've already changed you. Now you ought to reflect that change. You're a citizen of heaven now. Look like it, act like it, sound like it. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the what? Course of this world. Again, the devil has a course. He's got, he's got a path he wants you to travel. He's got a direction he wants you to go. He's got a destination that he wants you to end up at. And he says, Wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? Little G God. The spirit that now worketh in the children of who? Disobedience. Man, there should be such a distinction because little G God says, and God's saying, listen, 
At one time, ye did walk that course. At one time, you did allow him to influence your life. At one time, you did permit him to have the greatest amount of, of influence in your whole world. But that's not who you are now. It's a course, and we've talked about it, we'll not look at it. It's a course that is broad and leans to destruction and hell. According to Matthew 7, 13 through 14. They call it the Broadway. The Bible says that. And as a result, Jesus Christ, he becomes our substitute in order to deliver us from the course of this evil world. He personally endured the punishment that we rightly deserve. Why? So that we could get off the course of Satan. We could get off that path that leads to destruction so we would no longer be influenced and and totally controlled by Satan. Galatians 1, 4, the Bible says, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. So there's a course that little G God has. And every one of us was on that course, not just on our way to hell, but literally taking up his cause, his purpose, his plan for our life. Whether we knew it or understood it or not, the fact was is we were obeying our God. And he had it all figured out for you and me. But then Jesus came along. Man, he died on the cross and he paid for our sin and he rose again the third day. And he says, no longer do I want you to be bound by Satan. No longer do I want you to walk that course of life. He's got a plan for your life. He's got a purpose for your life. But I have a plan and purpose for your life. He's no longer your God. I'm your God now. And you're in my family. And you're seated in my heavenly places You're no longer a citizen of this world. You're a citizen of heaven now. You've been sanctified, separated unto me. And that's why he says then, once you've recognized this sanctification, this situation that God has brought us into because of his supernatural power and his regenerating power, He says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says, I don't want you to look any more like the world any longer. I don't want you to act like the world. I don't want you to think like the world. You've been sanctified. See, whether you and I understand it or not, and teenager, whether or not you're living like you ought to be living or not, whether you've got secret sin, you're not telling everybody about or not, I want you to know that God has sanctified you if you're truly saved. You're already separated unto God. And he's saying, why in the world do you let the devil control you? Why do you let the flesh rule you? Why are you permitting yourself to be, uh, to be controlled by the God of this world when I'm your God now? You can't let that happen, and it's true in every adult's life too. He says, you ought to be very clear under this. You need to understand this truth. You're separated. You're distinct. You're unique. Because of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Long before we should be different out here, we're different in here. And because we're so different in here, it ought to affect how we live out here.
To conform means made to resemble, assuming the same form, to be like. He says, be not conformed to this world. Our likeness should not be of the world. It shouldn't correspond with the world. Our manners and our opinions and our moral qualities ought to be different, yes. Because we're different. We've been sanctified. We've been separated from the world. According to 2 Corinthians 6.14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? And for, for ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and will walk in, and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. That's something. How God sees us. We need to see ourselves there now. Your chosen generation, you're a royal priesthood, he says. A holy nation, a peculiar people that should chew forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And it's a wonderful thing, this thing, separation, because it separates us from Satan. It separates us from the world and the course that he had for us. And whether we're living like it or not at this point, we are already sanctified. Now we just need to take it up. Now we just need to embrace it. Now we just need to acknowledge it and and reckon it to be so and live accordingly. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. 1 Peter 2, 11, he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Watch this. Notice that strangers and pilgrims. See, we were foreigners to God and we were very at home in the world. But now, that's changed. Now, we're strangers and pilgrims in the world. And we're the children of God. He says, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Abstain from it. Three things that separation does for the believer. It identifies us with God and as God's people. It insulates us from the world and it ensures distinction from the world. John Newton, and again, I, you know, you know we'll, we'll get into some particulars, but the most powerful truth is this truth of change that's already taken place. Why do we live in the muck and the mire when we're seated in heavenly places on gold streets. John Newton, the reformed slave ship captain and writer of Amazing Grace, he said this once. He said, I'm not what I might be. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I wish to be. And I'm not what I hope to be. But I thank God I'm not what I once was. And I can say with the great apostle, quote, By the grace of God, I am what I am. Unquote. You may not be everything that you believe you ought to be or that even God wants you to be, but you're not who you used to be. 
And we can't continue to live like we used to live then. We got to recognize that we are citizens of heaven. We're the children of God. We're in the household of faith. We're no longer on that course that little G God has for those that follow him and that he rules. We've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now he is our big G God. Be a friend to people. But make sure you're not a friend of the world. Because to be a friend of the world, according to 1 John 2, is to be at enmity with God. So be a friend with those in the world. In the sense that you establish a a, a rapport, but do not allow the, the world to become your friend. You be careful with that. Because you are a citizen of heaven now. And you and I need to live like it. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. And for the